Hi, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to Wednesday night's uh, study on, in the book of John. Um, we are currently in John chapter 1, and I'd just like to start off with a big, quick word of prayer for everyone and myself, and then we'll get into it. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can get together and study your word together. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me, that it would be your truth, not my opinions or anything like that, Lord Jesus. Not wrong information, but what you want me to say, Lord. And I just pray, Father, you would prepare everyone's heart to receive your word and that your Holy Spirit would be working in each one of us to either bring encouragement or conviction and that we would respond appropriately to either one. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, like I said, we're in uh, John chapter 1 and we're picking up in verse 6. Last week we finished off in verse 5 and it said, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. So then moving forward, basically verses 1 through 5, we're looking at who Jesus Christ is. Um, not just looking at like, you know, he's a carpenter's son, and he's the son of Mary, and he's born in Nazareth, that kind of thing, Bethlehem, and, and those kinds of things. Looking at who he is as God. Remember the book of John is talking to us about the deity of Jesus Christ, and um, not just giving us an eyewitness account of that deity, but then also telling us these things so that we might come to belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as our Savior. So then that's what we're, how we're looking at it. So then continuing on, it kind of, in a sense, changes gears. Verse 6. So we've been talking about Jesus as the light, the Word of God, being with God, in the beginning with God, be everything created through Him that was made. All of these things in verses 1 through 5, but then we start off in verse 6, and it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And you're like, oh, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, I'm going to tell you what it has to do with Jesus. That's why you're here, to find out. Okay, so verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, <clears throat> if you want a lot of information on John, also known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, um, you want to look in the book of Luke, chapter 1, look at verses 5 to 17, and then look at chap Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. That's going to give you a quick abridged version, but those two sections will tell you pretty much everything about John. I'll give you a quick, we'll read a, a little bit of them now, 5 through 17. Luke chapter 1, 5 to 17 says this, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And when Zacharias saw, sorry, I just skipped. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. I mean, if you saw an angel face to face, you'd be troubled too. Okay? And fear fell upon him. You'd be definitely afraid. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, 
for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, capital H, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Then if you skip forward in verses 39 to 45, it says this. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So this is what we see about John. Um, he's related to Jesus because Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. Okay, So Mary is now with, with, is pregnant, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is pregnant. And when Mary comes into the house and says, greets Elizabeth, like it said in the verse set of verses, that he, um, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, that when the baby heard the greeting, it left for joy. Because knowing, even at that early stage, filled with the Holy Spirit, that that was the Savior was in his mother's cousin's womb. Isn't that amazing? You know? And so you see that, and you see John is filled with the Holy Spirit from the beginning, just like God said, the angel said. And then you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and this is basically the purpose, John's purpose. This is what he's going to do. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that's exactly what, why John came. And then bef before we were saying, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. What does this have to do with Jesus? With the first five verses, we were really in depth with Jesus. What does this have to do with Jesus? And it says right there, he's preparing the way of the Lord, as it says in Isaiah 40. He's making straight in the desert a highway for our God. So then we're moving on to verse 7. It says, this man came for a witness. See, you can ask the first question, the first one, what does John have to do with Jesus? Verse 7 tells us this is what he has to do with Jesus, and it's going to expound on that in the next few verses. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Okay, so in John chapter 3, verses 25 to 36, John exalts Christ. He's exalting Christ. You know, he's bearing witness of Christ. And in those chapters, that chapter, in those verses, he's exalting Christ. And then in John chapter 3, chapter 5, I'm sorry, verses 33 to 35, Jesus talks about a fourfold witness, which John is one of those witnesses. And the other three witnesses are Jesus Christ himself, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So being one of the fourfold witness of Jesus Christ's deity is a pretty big deal, Okay. So we look at verse 7, and this is what we can, basically what we can ascertain from reading the scripture. John was sent first as a witness. As a witness to what? He, was, he came as a witness to the light, the light, not all light, the light. 
And why would, would he come as a witness for the light or to the light? Was so that all, through Jesus, would believe. You know, John's pointing it out. You know, a, a, a rapper that I like says, I'm just a beggar pointing y'all to the cross. And I've been heard another line saying, we're all beggars and we're pointing everyone to where they can get food, spiritual food. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, and you can look at it like that. John was there just pointing the way. That's the way you want to go, that way, you know. So John was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare people, pre prepare people's hearts by preaching repentance. If you look at the ministry of John in the other Gospels, he preached repentance. Today is the day. Repent now. And he, then he would baptize them, hence the name John the Baptist. He was baptizing the people into repentance, you know? As they made a commitment, and then he would baptize them. And he was baptizing with water. And he also baptized Jesus Christ. So verse 8 says this, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John is a herald, you know? He goes ahead of announcing the coming of this uh, of this. Of a person. That's what a herald does. A herald in, in let's say, medi medieval times would walk around with a big trumpet. Ba -ba -ba -ba, the king is coming. Ba -ba -ba -ba, king is coming. Make way. Make way. Get out of the street. The king is coming. Or whoever great and mighty behind them would be coming. Um, if you're a fan of comic books, the Silver Surfer was the herald for this uh, mighty titan called Galactus. You know, he would go ahead and he would announce the coming of Galactus. You know, um, and John, not that saying he was a, a, a comic book hero or figure or that he was in, in the medieval times or anything like that, just as an example, he was like a herald before Jesus Christ. He was going before Jesus, heralding that the Messiah was coming. Repent because the Messiah is coming, you know? So... <clears throat> And another, another uh, example I'm going to give you actually is that of a steward. If you've ever heard what a steward is, a steward of a kingdom is if the king is away, the steward is the one that cares for the kingdom. He oversees the kingdom, but he's not the king. Like there, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The steward would, um, John is basically the steward of the message of the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah. Okay, if you can think about it like that as well. You can understand how he could be mistaken for the Messiah because if you look back, as I said in John chapter uh, 1, verses 5 to 17, it says, he will, um, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, if somebody's heralding the, the coming Messiah and he's talking about the light and bear witness of that light and he's got the spirit and power of Elijah, you might, uh, you might mistake him for being that light, saying, hey, this is the guy. Look at what he can do. You know, but in actuality, he's not this man. You know, he goes and he, John is out there speaking truth. He's he's straight to the point. He speaks truth. And in the power, spirit and power of Elijah, you can understand how people can mistake him for the Messiah. Because people would ask him, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. You know, I'm not even fit to untie the Messiah's sandals. That's how low I am. So then looking at verse 9. It says this, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Remember, I'm reading from the New King James Version, so sometimes the, 
the grammar's a little bit crazy um, or a little bit funny compared to how we speak today. Another way of seeing that verse is this, or that was the true light which, coming into the world, gives light to every man. Okay? This is what I find interesting here. That was the true light. Now, why do we have to say true light? Because there are many that come into this world and herald themselves as the Messiah. They herald themselves as the Savior. But there's only one true light. There's only one true light. That is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that has fulfilled the prophecies spoken about him. He's the only one that has fulfilled what he said he would do. Many others have come before and after and possibly during and have said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they've never been able to accomplish or actually fulfill what they were going to do, you know, or said they could do, you know. Be the true light, here's how you can tell the true light. The true light is the only one that can shine bright enough to bring us out of the darkness, to illuminate the darkness, okay? If you look at any religion, look at all of the religions, you can compare them side by side, Christianity, obviously, Judeo-Christian value, Christianity being one of them, um, born-again Christianity, look at that side by side with everything else, and which one actually dispels darkness, evil. It's none of the others do. There's a lot of practical things in the other ones. There's a lot of like attaining to higher levels of consciousness and enlightenment, but never the, they never get rid of the sin. They never get rid of the, the root problem, which is sin in our hearts. Only Christianity through Jesus Christ does that. The true light, Jesus, he's the only one that can dispel darkness. Because he is, like I said already, the true light. Not all light. He is the light. Okay. Then we're moving on to verse 10. Is says this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So now we're getting into something different. We're talking about John. We're talking about how he's come and bearing witness of the light, the word of God, Jesus Christ. How he's doing that, right? Then we're talking about how he, he, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, which we discussed in the first five verses, five verses, and now we're talking about a new element, the world did not know him. And that's when we remember the first five verses, that the world did not comprehend him, or the world did not overcome him, right? So in this case, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, God, who at various times... And in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You know, it's interesting that we were made by him, we were made through him, but we don't recognize him. And we don't recognize him until he actually reveals himself to us. You know, and then after that revealing, we have two options. We embrace him or we reject him. And if the sad thing is, a lot of us reject him. And this is sometimes it's not a full rejection forever. We reject him. Then we come to understand a little bit better or we see that oh, what I thought was right is actually wrong. And then we come back to him. That's fine. But there's those that reject him and never go to him. Those are the sad cases. So, 
it's interesting to think, think about it like this. The creator comes into the world. He makes himself known and not just makes himself known, but at that point, then you come to the realization that I was made not just through this person, but by this person, you know, this being. And then we don't recognize him. Who are you? What are you doing here? Uh, I'm Jesus. Uh, I made you. Me? You, no, you didn't make me. I'm a self-made man. You, yeah, I'm a self-made man. That's the kind of garbage we spout. <laughs> I'm a self-made man. Really? You put yourself together? You knit yourself together in your mother's womb? You, you did that? I don't think so. I'm a self-made man. Look at me. Everything I've got, I've made myself. No, that's a, that's a lie. Everything we have comes from people before us. Our knowledge, our finances, our wealth. Nobody comes from absolutely nothing and makes themselves into something. That's a lie. So then, the wor he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him because the world rejects him, outright rejects him, and then the world replaces him with themselves, saying, I made me. I am the one. I am self-made. That is a lie and foolishness. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Think, think about it like this. The king, the king comes to his kingdom, and his own people, his kingdom, don't recognize him. It'd be like the Queen of England comes to England and says, I'm the Queen of England. And everybody says, I don't know who you are. Never heard of you. Really? You've never heard of the Queen of England? You know? I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's like ludicrous. Everybody knows the king. Everybody knows in the case of where we live now and today. Everybody knows who the queen is. If the queen shows up and maybe she's dressed down so she's not to be recognized and then steps up on the stage and says, boom, I'm the queen. Everybody's like, holy moly, the queen. Nobody's going to be like, who? Who's this? I mean, who's this lady? Never heard of her. Nobody would do that. Not in Britain, right? Imagine that. The king of the world comes and makes himself known and says, hey, I'm the king. And they said, no, nah, never heard of you, man. We made ourselves. <laughs> so he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And it illustrates this in Luke chapter 19, verse 14. It says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So we know enough to recognize the king. It's just that we don't want the king. Does that make sense? We don't want the king. We want to be the rulers. We want to control our lives. This is my world. This is my life. That's how we think. And you are sorely mistaken. It's not your world. It's not your life. Your life is God's. Whether you believe in him or not, he created you. You're his. You got no say about it. Now, the, the, the thing is, the acknowledgement. That's what God is looking for. The acknowledgement of him, of his kingly status in your life. That's what God wants. God wants you to acknowledge him and say, yes, you are the king. At that point, that is a step in humility. And then when we acknowledge the king, we also acknowledge our sin. Yes, you are the king. And if you are the king, that means I'm nobody. And that means actually that I'm sinful man. And that actually means that I need to be saved. I need your help. 
Do you understand? That's why nobody wants to acknowledge the king because then that means they have to acknowledge their own frailty and sinfulness and their own pride in their life. So then look in the verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the light, the right or authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Galatians 3.26 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So anybody that acknowledges the king and says, Yes, you're the king. I'm sinful. I need your help. I cannot save myself. I need to be saved. Those people he gives the right to become, says here, children of God. Then in verse 13, it goes even further. Children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You can't, you'll see. 1 Peter 1, 23 says this, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Anyone who acknowledges their sin and accepts the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross on their behalf, is given the privilege of being adopted into God's family and being called a child of God, children of God. Isn't that amazing? That you and myself, being sinful and falling way, way short of perfection, can be adopted into the perfect family of God. Okay? Now, this new status, because child of God is a status, this new status, child of God, can only be granted by the head of the family, God himself. Okay? You can't go to seminary and get it. You don't get it by studying really hard or being really, really good, which Romans chapter 3, verse 12b tells us, there is none who does good, no, not one. So forget good, being good. You count it out. Romans says there is none that are good, not one. Okay? You can't get it by being kind or generous or helpful or hospitable. You can't pay for it. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't pay for it. You know, or you can't even trade services for it. Listen, um, you let me in, I'll give, you, I'll do this for you. You know what I mean? I'll, 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 cut, I'll fix your house, I'll mow your lawn, whatever. You can't do those things. You know, you can only get it, and it's only given by God the Father Himself. The status of child of God. You are my child. That is given by the Father. God the Father. So what we're looking at here is this: John the Baptist comes to herald the coming of the Messiah by preaching, repent, repent. Messiah is coming. Repent. Get ready. Repent. Okay? But then the Messiah comes and we don't recognize him. Even though he tells us, and John has been telling us, this is the king. He's coming. And the king shows up and says, here I am. I'm the king. And everybody says, no, we don't want the king. Forget it. We don't want the king. And then he goes on to tell us, we go on to learn that you can be a child of God, of the king, by acknowledging the fact that you are sinful and you need the king to save you. That's what you need to do. That's called salvation. You can be saved by acknowledging your sinfulness and accepting the gift that Jesus Christ gave by dying on the cross. That gift is salvation. Okay? Now, you can, you, if you accept God's salvation... You get the status of child of God. You are adopted into God's family, a perfect family. You will dwell with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in heaven once your life on earth ends. 
you will dwell in heaven with him. But even better than that, just dwelling in heaven with him and having to wait for that time is he dwells with you now. The Holy Spirit, you accept Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit enters into your life and your life is 100% transformed. And then you continue that transformation process, which is called sanctification. You continue to be sanctified by living according to the way God wants you to live. It's not easy. And I tell you what, you can easily say, I'm going to live just like God. You know, people say easier said than done. True. Guess what? The Christian life is much easier said than it is done. If it's not difficult, then it's not worth having. Okay? If it's easy to get, it's not worth having. King David demonstrated this in the Old Testament when he went to offer sacrifices and the Lord told him, I want you to offer sacrifices on this spot. So he went to that spot and a man owned that threshing floor. And, and David tells the man, um, God told me I need to offer my sacrifices here. And the man said, have it. You can have all of it. And David said to him, I will not offer a sacrifice to God that did not cost me anything. How much? And I will buy all of this from you. I'll buy the spot, I'll buy your threshing floor, and I'll pay current price, full price for it, no discounts. And David paid for it full in full and then offered sacrifices to God there because you cannot offer a sacrifice if it didn't cost you anything. It's not a sacrifice. That, it goes against the actual meaning of the word sacrifice. You have to give something up to sacrifice. Okay. Now, if you want to live life with Christ in your heart, you're going to have to sacrifice. Jesus doesn't come into your heart to make sure your life is all good and roses, you know. No, God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't come into your life to make sure that you're comfortable. And are you okay? Are you happy? Because that's all I got. As long as you're happy. That's not about, that's not what it's about. Walking with Christ is making sure, trying to make it so that your will, whatever you wanted, is no longer what you want, but you want what God wants. That's the point. Let my will be your will. John said it himself. John the Baptist said, let me decrease and let him increase. That's the will. That's the purpose of a believer. So I'm telling you this because obviously I've given you the gospel message. I've told you in this tonight's talk what you need to do to be saved. Now, if you want to be saved, I encourage you to pray that, to pray, to acknowledge your sin before the Lord and ask Jesus into your heart and he will change your life, but there will have to be sacrifice. I'm telling you this because I don't want you to become a Christian and not, oh man, I didn't know it was gonna be this hard. It's going to be hard. Being a Christian is easier said. Everybody says, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian. Yeah, well, that's easy to say, but can you do it? Can you live as a Christian? That's the hard part. So, looking at John, he heralded Jesus Christ. The Messiah is coming, the Messiah came. Nobody recognized the Messiah, even though he was the king. And then he came to offer everybody a place as a child of God. Everybody, every single person alive, past, present, and future, that's what Jesus is offering. A place in my household as a child of God. That's for you. That's for me. That's for whoever's sitting next to you. That's for your relatives. That's for your friends, your colleagues. That's for everybody. Child of God is for everyone. That's why God sent Jesus to offer this salvation to every human being ever. So I'm going to leave you with that tonight. I pray that if you don't know Jesus and you're watching this right now, that you would make that choice today. And if you already know him, I'm praying that you actually walk in his ways and don't chicken out, but realize that a life with Christ is a life of sacrifice. All right, talk to you guys next week.
Be blessed.